Welcome to With That Being Said, a podcast on life, love, and everything in between. I'm so glad you've decided to join the conversation. Hi, I'm Esther Boykin. And I'm Erica Turner. And with that being said, get your life. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so today's guest is very cool. Like I love, I love all the stuff that she's doing. So I mean, she's an entrepreneur, but I feel like she's, she's a writer, she's a blogger, and really is basically helping us all plan how to like get our life right like (laughs) it's time to get it together and she's got some really cool inspiring and very motivating ways to help us do that yeah no I really like the way that well I like both the as you know we'll sort of talk about the what it is the happiness plan but I like both the sort of practical functionality of it like setting goals to Mm -hmm. actually accomplish accomplish what you want out of life but also, it's also just pretty. The it's planner so is so pretty. pretty. <laughs> I was like, I don't know that I need this planner because this this is stuff I already do. But I just want it because it's, it's just so pretty. pretty. Yeah. <laughs> I told, I definitely broke down and I got one for exactly that reason. <laughs> Which I have to say that um, it, it turned out to be a really good decision, actually. So it was good. Yeah. Beyond the, the beauty of it, like, on my desk and making it look pretty and nice. Yeah. <laughs> No, and I, I definitely have one. I miss the sort of the boat in terms of buying it for the beginning of the year, but I'm going to buy it for a good friend of mine at the beginning of next year, I think. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, yeah. And I actually got the because she, I She lack. needs it. She needs to get her life. She needs to get her life. She yeah. She needs to get her life. We, I, we all have some friends that need to. It's time. It's time. It's time. <laughs> there you go. And I'm just going to start shipping it to yeah. people. There <laughs> you go. <laughs> like a little post-it on top. Get your life. It's time. You know, you'd ask my advice as a therapist. I'm just sending you this planner. Here it is. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> and I love the, I'm always sort of ambitious about getting the one that starts, you know, January 1, but there's yeah. actually one that is like 100 days. Oh, yeah. Undated, right. which is much better for someone like me who lacks discipline, consistency. Yeah. Doesn't I don't start know that she can handle it. I don't think my friend could handle that. I think she needs someone that's She needs it to January be dated. First. Yeah. Like, dated and all set up. She needs it to like call her like that would today be today is the day. We should talk to Mo go. about, you know, making it. Oh, we should. I wonder if it's going to be like you yeah. an app. <laughs> you need an app. <laughs> all right. So, now that we've talked about how much we love it, let's bring on today's guest and really dig into how this whole thing came to be. Today's guest is Mo C. Tubton from The Happiness Planner and Brand Mentalist. Um, I am a big fan of both the blog and I actually, Eric and I were just talking about the fact that I think I bought four happiness planners uh, this (laughs) holiday season, Uh, one for myself and a couple of gifts. Um, And so we're really excited to have Mo on today. Mo, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. So one of the things we usually start with um, for every guest is... Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us, like, what's the 30-second bio? Who are you? What do you do? How did you kind of get there? Okay. Um, so Mo is um, the founder of The Happiness Planner. I'm also a writer. I'm a marketer, an entrepreneur who's passionate about personal development and also inspiring people to live a purpose and passion-driven life and to find happiness from within. I'm a big fan, uh, in particular, of that the, the passion and purpose-filled life, I think. I mean... What more could you ask for, right? Right. Yeah. 
So how did you kind of start down that path? Like, you know, writing specifically sort of about positivity and, and like, you know, having a purpose filled life, like what kind of led you to kind of go down that path? It all started from my blog, actually. So actually, no, it started from when I was in high school and I asked my friends, you know, what, what do you want? What do you guys want to study in college? What do you want to be when you graduate? And a lot of them just replied kind of like, oh, I'll just study finance, law, accounting, whatever. Like they had no passions for like whatever they they answered. And I, it just made me frustrated. And I was like, you guys should be like passionate about what you want to do later on in life. So that kind of inspired me that like, you know, one day I want to be able to inspire people to follow their passions. Yeah. And then later on, I just started a blog, which became something, you know, that I pass on a message to people. Gotcha. Yeah, I get really fired up about that, partly because obviously I have a son in college and I've got a, a daughter in high school. And so I think it's really interesting that even in high school, you really saw that there was more to life, that it was more, that it was important to follow or to look for something that was more than just going to pay the bills or buy nice things, but, or, you know, provide some sense of security, but that's something that you could be passionate about and that would feel, you know, meaningful in your life. Where do you think that drive came from? Is it just something that you've always had or did someone inspire that for you? Um, I think it all came down to my dad. When I was when I was younger, I argued with my mom a lot. And, um, you know, because we are so different, like she's super conservative and strict and quite negative. And I was like, I was so modern and westernized. You know, she's like a tiger mom. And um, so, so I kind of struggled growing up. And I had my dad, you know, who was very much into personal development and personal growth. And he, every time I, I had a fight with my mom, he would put me into perspective and he'd be like, well, you know, your mom has been that way for so many years. It's almost impossible for her to change, but you're only like 14 and you can still change your attitude. You know, mm -hmm. you will meet so many things in life later on that you cannot control, that you cannot change. But what you can learn to do from now on is to control what's inside of you and how you look at things and situations. And that will control how you feel about things that happen to you that you cannot control. So yeah, I would say my dad is a huge inspiration to me. Um, and he, he taught me a lot of things that I've passed on to my readers through my blog. Yeah, I really like that. And I think it, it definitely reflects, you know, the sense that you get from your blog and from sort of all of your sort of media that, you know, it's really about sort of taking ownership of yourself, taking sort of ownership. I think there's a quote on there actually that says something pretty much explicitly like that, that you sort of take ownership of yourself and your own feelings. Um, I'm just curious if you've had any sort of pushback from folks saying that, you know, happiness isn't a real goal or that, you know, the positivity is too woo-woo or pie in the sky or something like that, if you've had any sort of pushback with that and, and how you've addressed it, if it has come up. Yeah, I would say like my dad is really cool and he's always, his goal is never about, you know, like being successful or making a lot of money. But I, I kind of don't want to say this, like, because a lot of people get upset that I talk badly about my mom, but it's the truth. <laughs> and, you know, my mom is like a tiger mom and she's always like, you know, getting like grade B's not in, good enough. You have to get like grade A, you know, she's always about like success, making good money, saving money, you know, just 
just a tiger mom mentality. And it's hard to tell her what to believe in. But I guess, you know, as we get older, also, I feel like, you know, you probably feel the same. Like, as we get older, we feel like we're actually wiser than our parents now. (laughs) (laughs) And they're kind of becoming like younger, they become more like, you know, they're becoming younger. And so my mom, you know, now that she's made a couple of financial mistakes every time she's you know she wants to tell me to do something I'm like mom I think I know better than you about you know this yeah like she's super proud of me you know for having created the happiness planner but she hasn't used it (laughs) 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 and she still gets into like you know that negative frame of mind sometimes and um, but I think you know because like I have this happiness planner it kind of like reminds her to be more positive and to not look at things from the negative side of view. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, and I'm sure Esther could speak more about this because I haven't actually gotten my hands on a copy yet, but I'm going to send a copy to my best friend um, or send a, a planner to my best friend. But I, what I love about the happiness planner is that it takes something that seems very ephemeral, like very sort of, you know, vague and makes it much more tangible and much more attainable that, you know, happiness is something you can actually work towards, that you can practice and make steps towards. Um, And I was just curious if you could talk a little bit about that process of taking something sort of like as big of a concept as happiness and then making it into this, you know, really lovely planner that really sort of shows you kind of step by step how to focus your attention that way. So I think I've I've learned this myself, you know, and also through especially through like Stephen R. Covey's book, you know, The Habits of Highly Effective People and a few other books that my dad, you know, bought me when I was a kid. And I remember that I was, you know, practicing this like positive thinking. Like I actually didn't didn't actually come to this realization that I was practicing this until I started coming up with the idea for the book. And I was like, oh, actually it's something that I had been like practicing all along with the help of my dad. You know, like when just, you know, just shifting my perspective, really. Like when I was disappointed about something, my dad be like, well, look at the bright side of it. You've learned that, you know, or yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the things, especially as you've sort of talked about just growing up, that difference between your mom and your dad's perspective, um, you know, to me, I sort of look at the happiness planner and it's actually sort of this very interesting kind of balance because it, you take this really, I think, pretty amazing passion for inspiring other people and helping people look at the bright side and helping people to find positivity, but also give, I think, the opportunity to make it something that feels a little bit more tangible and a little bit more disciplined, which, you know, certainly it sounds like is probably much more mellow than your mom's approach might have been, but does sort of pick up that piece of saying like, you can have some structure and some goals in your life that are tied to something other than maybe money and financial success, but are tied to sort of this other positive perspective on life and, and, you know, finding your passion that you've really given people, I think, a really nice structure and a way to be a little bit more disciplined about it, which for somebody like me who tends not to be quite as disciplined or consistent, I mean, I think I probably operate like you said in terms of there's a lot of things I just do and I don't think about them. And the happiness planner really does inspire people to think about 
what you're doing, why you're doing it, and, and pay attention to frame of mind. It's a very cool, it's a really cool concept. What has been the the feedback from, you know, either from blog readers or from like other people as people start to pick it up? Because, you know, it's hard when you launch something out there in the world. Will people get it? Do they buy it? Do they understand where you were coming from when you created it in the first place? Yeah, yeah. I've got great feedback so far. Um, people who bought it, you know, like months ago and they've finished the first 100 days of the plan, like finished the whole 100-day planner really. And, you know, they said that they've become like calmer and happier from the inside. And I was very happy to hear that. And like, wow, I want to keep creating like better and better product every time I design, you know, the new edition. I was curious. I know you had written, I'd saw, I'd seen something on the the Happiness Planner website about, you know, the sort of benefits of having sort of a paper structure. Um, And it's, you know, it's a gorgeous planner. Um, and I love planners, but it really I, is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to move all of my sort of planning online because it's just not practical for me to carry a paper planner anymore. And I'm just curious if you had any plans to make like a happiness planner app or to do something that people could carry around, you know, either on their laptops or their mobile devices or something like that. Oh, yeah, definitely. We're actually working on it now. Um, so I'm pretty excited about it because I think the happiness planners, the paper planners, they're quite um, female focused and the app could be more, you know, gender neutral. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Just kind of yeah. open it up to, to be a little more male friendly, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. When are, are you sort of in the like pre-planning stage for the app or? Cause I... Yeah, pre, pre-planning. I think it should be. Well, I want it to be finished, like the development. Should, I want it to be finished by by the end of summer, but I'm not too sure yet at this point. That sounds like a pretty big project. <laughs> <laughs> Are you working with like a team or? Yeah, I'm planning to work with an agency um, because I have a really big vision for the design. I want the design to be really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I realize that I can't do everything myself. So, yeah. Yeah, that seems like a, a big undertaking. <laughs> that is an ambitious plan. And I will say, everything is really beautiful. Like, I mean, that is one of the things that, in fact, it's probably how I first found the Happiness Planner was probably on Instagram. Like, the images are beautiful. I do, there is a really um, just very attractive design aesthetic to everything, to the blog as well, and a lot of your social media stuff. It's really pretty. Yeah. Thank you. Well, and that kind of brings up, uh, I was looking at your Instagram feed and I love, I, you have like really great motivational quotes. Like a lot of motivational quote sites will just be things that you've heard a lot before, but there are some ones on there that I hadn't heard before and that were really striking. I mean, I actually read one to my husband and his response was, damn, (laughs) it it was the quote. Um, I'm just going to read it because I thought it was so good. It was, um, don't live the same year, 75 for 75 times and call it a life. And this is just such a powerful quote. And I was just curious about how you came across those quotes. Like, are you constantly searching online? You know, cause there's some really great stuff in there. Yeah. So I think that quote, I think I came across that quote because someone shared it somewhere and then I looked it up and I'm like, okay, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> but um, most of the time it just, you know, I just wake up and I'm just like, okay, what do I feel like posting about? And then I'll just Google like quotes about rah, 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 and then I'll just pick the one that I think sounds good, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I like how active they are. They aren't just like, everything is great. Be happy. Like, it's more sort of like focus, like take ownership, like be purposeful, be thoughtful. I really like that sort of, you know, focus on how how you can make your best life as opposed to it's something that just happens to you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's also something that, you know, my dad has always taught me since when I was little, like, even when I graduated, like, I was like, you know, what kind of job should I get? I've graduated, like, I finished my marketing degree. But the first thing my dad said was like, well, don't, don't rush into like fighting a job, spend some time fighting yourself, and then everything else will fall into place. And I was like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> the jobs um, will be there. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like everybody wants your dad. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, but that is a really um, just sort of encouraging feedback to get. So I'm kind of backtracking a little bit because you said, you know, you get up in the morning, you think about like, what do I want to post about? And I'm just curious, partly because of the structure of the planner, like what are there pieces of sort of your daily routine that you would share with people in terms of that either help you to pursue happiness or kind of, you know, stay focused on whatever you have decided your purpose and your passion is at the moment? Do you have some daily rituals for that? Yeah, I think it's something that I, well, now I'm kind of too busy with like, you know, the happiness planner, but <laughs> before, I mean, every time I wake up every morning, you know, when I wake up, I always think about the good things that the things that I'm excited about that day, you know, and, and that's the bit that I added to the planner as well. Um, and it's something that I've been doing for several years and it actually makes me feel inspired and excited and happy every morning. You know, it could be, you know, the lunch that you're going to have that day, or it could be the friend that you're going to meet for dinner. You know, it could be going to a bookstore or, just anything, you know, but just waking up and thinking about the simple joy or the little thing that can make you happy every day, um, every morning, that could actually like change your whole day. Just It just changes your outlook on how the day would be. I have to say, I was surprised at how impactful that particular question is um, on a daily basis to reflect on that. Cause you know, initially it's kind of like, Oh, you know, I kind of scroll through my calendar, but I've had a couple of days where I've been like, the first thing that pops into my mind is not what I would have thought about. You know, like I'm excited for, you know, something that's going on with like my kids or my, you know, like maybe it's not my thing, but I'm excited for them or what is going to happen. And so it's an itch. I think it's a really simple, but potentially powerful question for people to be thinking about. Yeah. Yeah, it seems to put kind of your whole attention on, you know, what you want, what you want to happen as opposed to, you know, how we get stuck on putting our focus on like, what we don't want to happen or what we're afraid of or what we're anxious about, because mm-hmm. it's easy for your morning to start that way. And then for you to kind of stay in that, that headspace in that mental space. Yeah, absolutely. So I just had, I have one more question or one more thing that I really wanted to just talk a little bit about. I really liked your post, the 2015 like year end notes, which I like the concept of it quite honestly, is just kind of, you know, we all focus on like new year resolutions, but that process of looking at the end of the year and kind of thinking, what have I learned? Or, you know, what do I want to take with me into the next year? Or what do I want to leave behind? But I just was curious how you came up with the idea to do that and 
how that helps you to sort of be, continue to be really intentional about the things that you do on a regular basis. You mean like, you know, how I came up with the concept of looking at what I've learned? Yes, yes. Um, well, I think, you know, as we get older every year, it's, you know, no, no matter what happened, really, it's what have you learned. And sometimes we just get so busy, we don't even pause for a second and look back to how far we have come or what we have learned. You know, after, for example, after a breakup, you know, we all feel sad and heartbroken and, you know, we just maybe we want to jump back into the dating scene to get us over, you know, just get over with the breakup. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think we can actually learn a lot if we pause for a second and look at what, you know, what have I learned from this, you know, um, because I think everything that happens in your life, you know, come into your life to teach you something, you know, and everyone and everything that comes into your life, it comes into your life to teach you something. So unless we, you know, pause for a second and look back and really consciously, you know, think about what we've learned, we don't turn experiences into wisdom. So that's why I think it's important to look back and grow from there. Yeah. I mean, I think it, the whole, you know, the whole concept that, that really comes through in, in your writing is this idea of sort of not like living your life in this, you know, straight line without sort of, you know, thinking about what actually matters to you and thinking about, you know, what you can take from what's happened I'm curious for you, what was the big thing that you kind of took from, you know, the past year? Like, what was your big lesson for the past year, if you feel comfortable sharing? Yeah, I think the biggest thing I've learned last year was the art of non-attachment. I don't know if you've heard of this concept, mm -hmm. non-attachment. It's basically you lose whatever you cling on to. And I think, well, personally going through a breakup you know I had to learn to let go and then I started reading up on articles about non-attachment and it's just so true you know like if you have a stigma if you have strong beliefs in something you know which prevent you from being open-minded you you just feel irritated when someone say something or do something that's against your belief but if you you have an open mind you don't feel irritated and you you have a peace of mind so with the breakup as well, you know, it's kind of like you have to believe, how do I say this? Um, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, if you believe that this is yours, this is, this is yours, you know, then you kind of feel the pain a lot more than if you feel like it's, I don't know, it's really hard to, it's a really hard concept <laughs> to explain, but it's kind of like, you know, you lose whatever you cling on to and basically just learning to experience everything, every emotion, every experience that comes into your life as a passing experience or that is fleeting. You know, like when you're happy, you're happy, enjoy it because it will not be there forever. When you're sad, don't feel too sad about it because it will not be there forever. Like everything that comes into your life comes and go. So make the most of the present moment and don't cling on to to something you know like for example if you have a house and it got burned down if you cling on to that so much then you feel so much pain but if you learn to accept and let go then then you will have a peace of mind sooner than most people would so it kind of sounds like 
the, the sort of the next step of sort of the mindfulness concept of being present, like being present is sort of being aware of what's happening right here and now without sort of anxiety about the future or, you know, getting sort of stuck about regret about the past. And this sounds like it sort of takes that a little bit further in terms of seeing what happens in your life as, you know, enjoying it while it's here and, you know, dealing with whatever struggles while they're here, but not sort of getting attached to a certain outcome or um, a certain event happening or any certain piece of your life that any of that could be, could be gone and may not, may not remain. Yeah. And thinking about it, 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 it is actually a Buddhist concept, you know, like the, the Buddha, the monk always preaches you saying, you know, you're born alone and you die alone. Everything else just come and go, you know? So mm-hmm. Yeah, I I'm a, I'm somewhat familiar with it, and it is sort of a hard concept to explain. I always envision it, or like the the visual I try to give people is, it's we tend to go through life with like a closed hand. Either it's closed, wrapped tight around something we're holding on to, or it's closed because we're sort of avoiding something. And that the concept is really essentially, can you just sort of have like open hands, like when things show up, you're you can hold them gently and appreciate them. But then when it, it leaves, it's not so painful. It's not sort of ripping your hand open to let go of something as much as it is sort of recognizing it's just going to move on and, and riding that wave of things. But it, it's an important lesson. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think that concept is really powerful in terms of, I know, you know, several years ago, I went through a very sort of difficult time in my life, also involving a breakup, but there was other stuff and it was just, it was hard. And one of the things that I kind of realized, I think that that goes along with this concept is that the only thing that I could control was myself, that the only thing that remains is, is me in my life, that everything else is sort of coming in and coming out. But what remains is yourself and what you decide to do with the time that you have, with the resources that you have, that's really all that you have any sort of real power over. Um, And I think that kind of dovetails with what you're talking about. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Good. There it is. (laughs) Yeah. And it, and it actually like, like this concept actually like taught me to look at everything, you know, as fleeting, even money, you know, like just don't, be attached to it like my family actually lost some money to a scammer due to my mom's oh, mistake no. <laughs> she probably doesn't want me to share this but like I'm just like well it's, it's kind of funny <laughs> you know um you know you've learned something but you know it's kind of yeah like you just lose what you cling on to you know everything like you earn money you know you spend money you know you can't take it with you when you die and I kind of feel like you know what I've also learned is that time is the only thing that you cannot get back you know, you can always get your money back. You can always get, I don't know, you can always buy some, like, another house or whatever. But, you know, time is something that if you lose, you cannot get back. So right. make sure you spent your time wisely. Because right. a lot of people are scared of jumping into the unknown and not doing things that they want to do, you know. And they think they'll do that later. But they forgot to realize that, you know, time is the only thing that they have. And not jump, not doing whatever they've always wanted to do, like now, not getting started now, you know, it's the opportunity cost, you know, that has costed them. 
that makes sense. Right. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's that uh, when people do, when things do work out and then I feel like we hear, at least I hear that quite a bit sometimes in my office where people will say, I don't know why I didn't do this sooner. Right. You know, once they're in it and they're sort of like, oh, all that time kind of stuck feeling, you know, fearful or anxious or, or doubting, you know, my ability to, to weather the storm. Cause I think usually that's what it, it's more about. What if it doesn't go well and can I survive that? Then it is, you know, whatever thing people are putting off, um, being actually afraid of that thing. Right. Yeah. I have to say, I think that that's actually speaking of letting things go <laughs> and time being so transient. Um, I really just want to say thank you so much, Mo, for coming on. Um, it's been a great conversation. I think hopefully our listeners have really learned some things and absolutely check out the happinessplanner.com. You can buy one, you can buy a set of three. They're beautiful, beautiful. I can say firsthand, I, I have one and I've given some as gifts and they've all been very well received. And as Erica had mentioned, um, the social media is lovely. So you definitely get on and And the quotes are so good. (laughs) (laughs) Mo, where can people find you on Twitter and on Instagram? Yeah, the Instagram is happiness planner and um, Twitter is happiness planner as well without the E just because like, I can't put one more letter in. <laughs> one more letter. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So just, just look up happiness planner and you'll find it. You'll find it. Okay. And um, I would definitely encourage you all to also check out brandmentalist.com. Um, the blog is fantastic. It's a lot of really great, inspiring posts, great quotes. Um, if you're looking for some things to kind of just help you begin to think about bringing, um, passion and purpose into your own life. Mo's got lots of really great resources for you. Definitely. Thanks again for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Mo. Thank you. So that was a super interesting conversation, I thought. Yeah, Mo is, I mean, she's so sweet. And I just thought she shared some really insightful things. Talking to her is like reading the, all the quotes on her blog. <laughs> These little like nuggets of wisdom that just you yeah. know, sprinkle throughout the conversation, which, you know, is not a bad thing. No. Not a bad trait to have in any way. No, it definitely makes for good conversation. It's one of those things, even now that we've let her go, um, I'm still thinking about some of the stuff that we kind of touched on. Yeah. I really like the, the concept just in general, I think as a therapist, you know, part of our work is so much helping folks get from a place of, I want things to be different to what am I going to do to make things different? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this whole idea with the happiness planner of really sort of making happiness a priority, making your sort of the the arc, the arc of your life um you know, giving it some structure, I think it's just a very helpful concept. And I don't think yeah. people realize necessarily that most of the time these goals or these ideas or dreams or plans that we have, like, they don't just happen on their own. Yeah. But often we don't set any kind of structure to it until we're already well into the thick of it. And, you know, this kind of shows that we can do that a lot of that beforehand. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that that may, I think you're making a good point in that there is just sort of this, and I don't know if other people experience this or like if you experience this, but I do. I find myself, especially the things that I'm really passionate about, I have to work really hard to put to have learned how to create structure around it. Mm-hmm. Like 
I think the things we have a lot of emotion around, we almost sometimes resist creating some structure and some plan for it. Mm -hmm. But nothing, our behavior doesn't change. Things don't happen unless we move from the place of kind of experiencing to creating some steps and some guidelines, which, you know, I mean, on some level, that's basically what therapy is, right? Right. Well, and I think that, I mean, even the, you know, the sort of classic example of this is the couple who doesn't want to schedule sex. Right. And it's like, well, you have three kids and all your kids are in activities and you both work full time and you go to church and you volunteer, but somehow you think sex is just going to magically appear in your life. Right. And it's not. <laughs> it is not going to happen. <laughs> but you're, you're so right. And I think, you know, listen, I, I'm, in, I'm a hopeless romantic. I love that stuff. You know, I'm all for spontaneous sure. romantic moments. Everything from sex to date night to, to just even having like concrete conversations about important stuff. But the reality of most people's lives is that that's not how it is. Like, right. it was like that in the beginning because you made a conscious decision to prioritize dating. Exactly. And, and meeting somebody. Or, you know, you were 22 and Things for the majority different. of us, <laughs> 22 means that you had a lot more free time on your hands. You had right. a lot fewer obligations and responsibilities. And so, you know, that's always... It's like anything else that matters. We schedule it. Like, mm-hmm. you and I have meetings, right? Like, right. If it ain't on the calendar... It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But we... <laughs> we, we don't randomly meet in your office. We don't just come in your office and go. then start a meeting randomly. Yeah, let's have a meeting. Let's record <laughs> podcast episodes now. Like, it doesn't work. And I think, I think what people miss is that scheduling and creating structure doesn't mean that you have to then remove all of the the passion and the emotional aspects of Absolutely. whatever it is that like which is what i like about the physical happiness planner but also to your example about sex is like sex it doesn't become less pleasurable because <laughs> and it doesn't you planned it <laughs> no it in it doesn't dist- it doesn't detract from the experience in and of itself at all only if you sort of have this idea that it should be this way right, right. like that's the only time it can dis- detract from the yes. experience is when you put this idea but if you sort of say and i agree with you you can't I'm not saying let the spontaneity go. I'm just saying don't only rely on the spontaneity. Right. Like if there is a moment where, you know, you realize all the kids are gone or you yeah, got let's some time it. or whatever, yeah. like go for it. But don't let that be the only vehicle through which you right. know, physical intimacy happens. Because the reality is if you have a lot on your plate, you know, you're tired, you're whatever, like it's just going to fall by the wayside that. You know, we see that all the time over and over again. We do. Um, so I, I just think that kind of honors the reality of the situation. Yeah, and treating it like it is genuinely important and a priority. And it's part of what I you look forward to, right? Like, I'm looking forward to that time today, this week, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That is something that I think is valuable mm-hmm. and something that couples in particular really struggle with. Like, I don't have, I, when I did a lot more family work, I never really had, I'd get pushback mostly because they just didn't want to prioritize things, but I didn't get pushback in like, well, family dinner won't be as special if we We agree that we've planned it and family dinner is at 6 p.m., you know, Monday through Thursday. Right. 
No, nobody gives you any pushback. No, nobody that. goes like, well, you're ruining the experience. <laughs> this like, special moment. No, nobody has ever said that. Right. You know, or like, you know, well, if you really want to exercise, like, you know, just schedule it. Like, you know, Monday Make and Wednesday mornings, you go to the gym. Like, no one goes, well, I just think my workouts aren't going to be as great. <laughs> like, no, they'll be consistent and they'll happen. And Right. We're not all living inside, like a Daniel Steele novel. Like, we can't just sadly randomly no. fall into passionate embrace. I don't understand why. Multiple times throughout the week, like, just, you know, just, I was in the kitchen. I thought, wow, he looks good. Let's just go for it. Yeah. Children be damned. It's all okay. <laughs> we just won't write them into this scene. So as an aside, can I just say this? That is the most random and best reference ever. <laughs> I just thought, like, what, I thought maybe I was the only one who was out reading Daniel Steele novels. Like, at, you know. Haven't we all read 18, 19, 20. Daniel like, Steele novels? Come on now. Like, now I can't make time to read a Daniel Steele novel. No. I don't have time to read To be having now. those kinds of experiences. <laughs> Certainly not the whole thing. No. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I also wanted to talk about a quote that she said that was great. And I don't know that like in the moment when she said it, if it quite fully processed, but as we were sort of reflecting Mm -hmm. on it, um, one of the things that Mo mentioned, she said, unless we consciously think about what we learn, we don't turn experiences into wisdom, which is just frankly brilliant. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It, It, yeah, it. That's it. That's all I can say. It is exactly brilliant. And and again, and it's interesting because as we talked, I didn't necessarily think as much about the parallels. But now that we're kind of reflecting about it, I'm like, again, I just go, that is basically what therapy is about. Basically what therapy is. <laughs> right? Like taking these experiences and creating a space in your life where you actually pause and reflect on. Right. What have I lived through? Like, what's happened to me? How do I see that? What's my what's my life story to this point? So that you can incorporate it in a more meaningful way when you think about your future and sort of planning ahead. Like, what do I want the rest of my life story to look like? Right. Well, and I think that's not that I'm old at all because I'm not <laughs> old in any way, shape, or form. And people would make fun of me if I even tried to claim that. They will that. definitely. Um, I'm in my early 30s, for the record. Um, But I think that's one of the beauty of adulthood that I've noticed is that you have all this, you start to accumulate this experience and you start to see these patterns come back again. Yeah. And you go, oh, wait, I'm not doing that again. (laughs) Wait, I did that. (laughs) Wait, I did that and it wasn't so great. And that's, you know, I think one of the great things about therapy is that process can shorten it even more yeah that you can process something that's happened to you or something that you've gone through and you can really say like next time i'm doing this or in the future i want to plan this way um that you can use those experiences that they don't just have to be oh that happened and it sucked but and now here it is again (laughs) here it is again or here it is in a different form but basically the same thing um but that you can you know, reflect on those experiences and make them meaningful and then do something about it. Yeah. I mean, that's the great thing about therapy. Um, I don't know that, you know, we've talked about this. I can't remember if we've talked about this on the podcast or not. But, you know, when people ask us 
people ask all the time, like, how do you do that work? How, how do you right. sit with such things that are so hard? And I'm always sort of like, well, I'm part of a process that makes things better. Right. So that's how I sit with something so hard. If I just sat there and it was really hard, I'd be like, you know, this is terrible. This is awful. I, I don't yeah. want any part of this. Yeah. But, but it's, it's the hope that things can be better. It's the yeah. work that things can be better. That's, exactly. That there's value in looking at what we've been through because we're doing it inside of a process that is geared towards what did I learn or do I need to learn and how is that impacting me so that I can do things differently going forward. And I think that's often what people miss. Right. Is like, it isn't just about, it's not just telling your story for the sake of telling your story or reflecting on something or thinking about your childhood just for the sake of shits and giggles right like it's not just to do it for the to do it it's to do it with the intention that in that process i will learn something i Mm -hmm. will be able to sort of crystallize that experience into something that allows me to direct my life a little bit differently to plan ahead differently um which i think people yeah I, i really do feel like people miss that Right. And sort of feel like, you know, there is something in our ability to talk through things and sort of make them real. Right. In, I want to say tangible, but obviously it's not really tangible, but, but it feels. Or yeah. meaningful connections between sort of our experiences and then what are we going to do next about yeah. it? You know, is, is really where the work is. God, if it wasn't yeah. that, if I just sat there and listened <laughs> to people tell me sad things all day, that would be awful. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> we do that and then we start to go and then we okay okay let's let's talk about you know yeah what's next yeah and how is that unconsciously directing things in your life right now and how Absolutely. would you like for it to be directing things in your life right now and that you i think ultimately it comes back around to that piece of we have much more power over over our perception of life Mm-hmm. You know, that's always sort of my thing is like, there are absolutely things that are never going to, that I don't want to say are never going to change, but that we can't change, right? right? There are circumstances or past experiences that we can't undo absolutely. or current experience, circumstances that we can't immediately change, but how we perceive them and interact with them can be different. Makes a big difference. And that does make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Well, it goes back to that concept that you talked about sort of. The, I'm the not, non-attachment. The non-attachment. Yes. Like I'm holding this present experience gently. Like I, I'm here with it and I'm present with it, but I'm not so sold to it and so married to it. Yeah. Whether it's good or bad, you know? <laughs> right. Exactly. That we can't get sort of stuck in that, in mm-hmm. that space. Um, and I think a lot of times what we use to sort of, which is always interesting as therapists to talk about the concept of non-attachment because we talk a lot about the importance attachment. of attachment <laughs> in terms of relationships. But I think a lot of times really non-attachment comes into play when we think about the stories that we create mm-hmm. around certain circumstances and what it means. You know, like, I'm a good person if this guy loves me. Mm-hmm. Well, then if he doesn't love me or want to date me anymore, then I'm not no longer I'm not a good person or I'm not attractive enough. I'm not worthy. Uh, Yes, exactly. Where it's it's not so much being unattached to people, but to be unattached to all of the the stories and the meanings we create around different circumstances and to sort of be able to say that was an experience in my life or that was a relationship in my life that it came. Hopefully I've learned some things, you know, I, I gained some wisdom 
and it's moved on and it's time for me to kind of write the I feel like I'm on a narrative analogy sure, keep going but it's time for me to write the next chapter right you know yeah. like I think you know there's some pin or Instagram or somewhere some. that's you know where it's like and I I'm sure I have said this to a client or two before like you can't write the next chapter if you're constantly rereading the the last, the last one. one you know mm-hmm. like we have to look at it understand it learn something and then we have to move on to the next thing and i think that is really where non-attachment comes in it's sort of like this piece was this was really good or not so good but it's time for whatever the next thing is going to be and am i open to the next thing right and not trying to recreate something that's already coming on yeah absolutely i mean it's giving you know, acknowledging the power of the stories that we tell ourselves because mm-hmm. they're very powerful. And I don't think that we often sort of, you know, I, it, we certainly talked about before that we let a lot of junk in our brains about ourselves and about our mm-hmm. lives and about our circumstances. And it's like, yeah, some of those thoughts are just going to happen. You can't control your thoughts in such a way that you just right. never have a negative thought or anything that's yeah. absurd. <laughs> But you don't have to stay there, right? Like, you can have the negative thought and go, okay, I hear you, or I I acknowledge that you exist thought, and yeah. now I'm moving on to the um, next thing. Yes. You don't have to stay you don't in to the st- muck. Yeah, you don't have to stay there. I was really just, I was actually thinking a lot about that uh, a couple days ago, because uh, she said she said a bad day, and like, not like life crisis, like, you know... A job interview that went really, really well that turned out that you had to be 21 for the job and they oh. missed, you know, where it's just like, that's just annoying. Yeah. And, you know, and. This is your daughter? Yeah. And like, we went out for ice cream and it turned out that every flavor, she has some food allergies. So literally of the 25 flavors, none of them were oh. edible. So it's just kind of like one thing after the other. Like, are these you know, reasons to like go home and like stay in bed for three weeks. No, but one after the other and I get it. And so I was really sort of reflecting on as I'm always doing as a mom, because my inclination is to like fix and make better. And there's this space between you're allowed to go, you know what? I'm having a really shitty day. Yeah. And yeah, it's I am. And I am. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I'm going to kind of, I'm not okay with it and it's not great. But then we also have to develop that, those resiliency skills to go, I just had a crappy afternoon. It's okay that I'm not okay right this minute. Right. But I also at some point have to kind of let those skills kick in that allow me to go, all right. And turn my attention. It was a bad afternoon. And now I need to kind of turn my attention to some new things and kind of move on from that. And I think as tricky and as evolving as it is internally to learn how to do that, I think I also, as a as a mother who is also a therapist, where mm-hmm. in therapy, it's clear that part of people's development of resiliency skills is coming to see me. Like, right. that's that I, my role <laughs> is very clear work. there. Right. But as a parent... There has it's to be trickier. some space as you get older where I I need to stay out of the way so that you learn how to do that for yourself. And yeah. Instead of wanting to like come in and come in and fix and make better. Make and better. Yes. Because that is that is our first response. Or at least I'll say <laughs> as a mother, that is my first response. I'm definitely <laughs> that mom. I have to work really hard at that. Yeah. Which 
I'm going to kind of go out of order. I feel like we usually talk about read, listen, watch, and then therapist problems. But I, just because it sort of made a segue in my head, maybe it's not a great segue when people (laughs) listen to this episode, but in the thinking about how do we get out of the way as people are growing and evolving, Mm -hmm. I was thinking a lot about terminating therapy. Like Mm. when, not in the, you're not a good fit or I moved away, but like we've kind of reached its natural end, right? Like you came in, you had some goals, we've worked on it, you've reached that point and it is... I would say by far it is the area as a therapist, my professional life that I'm constantly working at mm-hmm. and thinking through. Mm-hmm. Um, partly because I I tend to do longer term work, yeah. so I see my clients for a long time, and so typically we sort of start with, you know, I mean, I do a lot of couples work, a lot of trauma work, which means there's lots of goals, right? So we kind of there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work to do, so we kind of <laughs> we start with one goal and we kind of evolve to another one and another one, and then of course life is happening in the middle. But there is a place for, like, you've got this. You've developed your skills. You don't necessarily – you don't really need to be here. Right. And how do we create that balance between it's also okay to choose to use therapy as maintenance. Like, it's a place yeah. – it's a sounding board. It's a place to continue to do that um, in a very ongoing way. Mm-hmm. Generally not once a week at that point. But also, like, how do you say goodbye? How do you sort of say, like, I think it's time for us to, like – take a break at the very least and see what's next. Yeah. That part as a therapist, I think is super tricky Mm -hmm. is, is super hard, especially, you know, when you've worked with clients for a while, you like them. I mean, I, I like all my clients. I I can honestly say that. (laughs) I'm not just saying that because like I'm supposed to or whatever. (laughs) And some people would say, you don't say you like them at all. Like, that's not even that's, that's a whole, whole theory other, of therapy that's a, yeah. gonna go that's about. a whole nother podcast just for therapists <laughs> just for therapists um but it is it does you know you reach a moment where you're like you're wondering sort of how what is the value that you're providing and what is the sort of work here what mm-hmm. is what's being gained by this client coming here and yeah you know then you'll You'll have some sessions where you'll you'll feel like you're doing some work, and then you'll have some session sessions where you feel more like there's more just sort of chatting and yeah. less work. And you know, it's it's tough. I mean, I guess I've sort of come from a school of thought that's like the client decides that, but yeah. I don't always a hundred percent agree with that. Sometimes I do think you have to sort of encourage clients to at least sort of think about maybe they don't want to come to therapy anymore. I think you have to at least raise the question because I think particularly if you have done good work and you have developed, I think, a really positive therapeutic relationship, then it feels good, right? Right. Like, I mean, it feels like you've, especially towards the end, it mostly feels good to be in therapy because you've done the hard work. The hard work, right. And so it's a lot of, I mean, it's not, you come in, but it's not. And we talk about things and we go over things, but it's not like, you know, necessarily a new challenge or even, you know, you're sort of like, well, you know, I had this problem and I was dealing, I used some of those skills we've been talking about. Yeah. it Mostly it was okay, and here are some things I could have done differently. And yeah, you, know. you kind of think like, oh, I'm doing all right, and yeah, yeah. Which you know, I and I mean, you know, Ed, but I always <laughs> think about. I feel like he was teaching at the time, but he was also my clinical supervisor right out of school. So somewhere between the classes he taught and supervision, I always remember him talking about therapy being very episodic. Like mm-hmm. you know, it's. It's like a TV show, right? Like you have seasons. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, in some seasons, especially now with like shows moving from one 
network to another or from like a network television to like Hulu or something like that. Where like, so seasons vary in length. Right. Some seasons are longer than other, but like you do it for a while and then there's a break and then you come back and you do it for a while and there's a break. We're always here. That's the thing. When I tell a client who's like, I don't know, maybe I should leave. Maybe I'm ready to go. I'm like, look, I'm not going anywhere. Right. You can find me again. I will be here. (laughs) And if not me, other therapists will be somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) People are around who do this work. Pretty you much know. forever. You but yeah, I, I like that because um, I also work with yeah. Ed. That concept of the bucket brigade, sort of like yeah. each person, each therapist is like <laughs> holding a bucket with the client and sort of, you know, however you want to. I don't know where exactly the analogy goes from there. Like, are we holding a bucket and putting out a fire? I guess maybe. And, may, and we're transferring. I don't know. I, yeah. But it's multiple therapists <laughs> holding multiple buckets to help sort to of. To help. Be with the client yeah. along their journey is the thinking. I should ask him what the end of that analogy is. He probably hasn't really thought through the end of that analogy. <laughs> we have taken his analogy further than he intended it to go. <laughs> but I do. I think that that's an important piece. And I think it also, you know, one of the things I've also learned to remind myself and talk with clients about, too, is that over time you evolve, right? Like you've grown. And so while I... I might have been the perfect therapist when you started, you know, a year from now, if you want to come back, I may or may not be the right person right? because where you are and what you're working on might be different. So I think hopefully I like to think that I'm sort of laying a solid foundation that makes people feel like, yeah, I got this. Mm -hmm. And if I get to a place again where I feel like I want some help, I know I can come back. To therapy in general. Right. Maybe to me specifically, but always to therapy in general as like a legitimate resource in their life. Right. And figure it out again. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. But it's always, yeah. It is a tricky thing though. Certainly yeah. tricky. So. Yeah. I think it's one of those. I used to joke with friends that eventually we're just going to like buy a street. Like there's just people I'm really close to where I'm just like, I just need everybody to live on the same on street. On the same street. Yeah. No one is allowed to, like, you are not allowed to move. And <laughs> you can, like, do other things yes. and have new interests and have tons of other friends. Right, that but you have to stay on the street. Right. Just everybody on the street so that when we need to spend time, we can. We can. You know. And so there is a little bit of, um, I know that that's my personality is to kind of, I don't want people to be stagnant, but... I do feel bring in yeah peaks. like I feel like a sort of a close like I just want to be around if you need me <laughs> yeah no I hear that I certainly hear that I, and I'm also the same way I wish everybody would live on the same street but yeah people keep moving all over the place I know so that lame. or if somebody would buy me a private jet either way oh yeah I guess that would work too because I could do that we could just have like a G5 yeah what is the one they're talking about in Tropic Thunder I think it's a G5 probably I don't know <laughs> Like, in fairness, my husband would probably be like, I, I don't need a private jet, even if I could afford a private jet, because I'm not a very good flyer. So, like, the bigger the plane, the better. The better. <laughs> so, your I, own I don't personal to... plane actually would not be such a No. I, like, I I probably would like a personal plane that could it's actually see. That's a jet. <laughs> that could seat, you know, several hundred people or however big they get. <laughs> Which is highly unlikely that to happen. Doesn't seem like my, that's going to happen. Probably not. I, I should probably that's... just work on being less nervous when I yeah. fly. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> All right. All right. 
so let's talk, read, listen, watch. What are you reading, listening to, watching? So I'm not doing nearly as much reading as I'd like to be doing. I don't know what's going on with that. I've got to get back on track reading. Oh, um, don't be a, don't turn into a slacker like me. I know. With partly Eight books on the nightstand. I know. <laughs> I have two that I've bought. The last like three I've bought, I haven't finished. And I am just blaming it on, like, they weren't the right fit. <laughs> That's what I've decided That's what to it is. on. Um, but I have, I'm still listening to podcasts, as I always do. And I was listening to um, a podcast called Reply All, which I may have talked about on the show before. But it's essentially, they call it a podcast about the internet. Oh, fun. Yeah, right? So <laughs> that gives them license to talk about almost anything. Basically everything. Every, ever. Um, but they have this great series of episodes called On the Inside um, that is super interesting. It's 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 basically about a, a prisoner in a maximum security prison who um, was convicted of murder um, and has a blog. Which, when you first hear that right away, you're like, wait a minute. Hold on a Prisoners second. don't have access to the <laughs> internet. How does that even work? Right. Um, and he does not have access to the internet. What he would do um, was to send his blog posts to his mom, and then his mom would put them on the internet for oh, him. Oh, interesting. But he's got, like, all of these posts. Um, but... What I kind of wanted to highlight from that, so that's interesting in and of itself. And yeah. then they also go into they they end up going into like the question of did he murder these people, murder right. this person or not. Um, but what I thought was interesting was in the conversation of talking about did he murder these people or not or this person. Um, you know, there was this, there was the jury. They interviewed some of the people, talked to some of the people from the jury, and the the jury would sort of talk about him, like, well, you could look at him and know that he was evil. Like, that's what yeah, they would right, say. Yeah. And so, you're hearing that, you hear that actually more towards the end of the okay. series of episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the rest of the episode, you're hearing him. Like, you're hearing him talk, you're hearing them read his blog post, mm-hmm. and he just seems like... Regular dude. A regular dude. Like, he certainly had a reputation even beyond the whole, beyond the whole murder thing. Right. (laughs) For, like, he beat up some people and that sort of thing. Okay. But he doesn't seem like this sort of arch murderer, whatever. And I just found it interesting because this whole concept, I think that, you know, my experience as a therapist and sort of this idea of that people who... Like, that there's some sort of big line between people who are evil and people who are just ordinary people. Right. And as a therapist, I haven't worked with a lot of people. I I haven't worked with anybody as far as I know that have committed, like, violent crimes or anything Mm -hmm. like that. But in the course of work with people who, you know, have done things that other people would sort of say is not evil, but really bad. Yeah. I've worked with substance abuse clients who've, like, stolen from their families and that sort of stuff. Um, You know, there's this expectation that they're going to just be these evil, horrible people. Mm -hmm. And they're just people. Like, they're just... They're just people. I just have come to feel very strongly that the line between, like, those of us who could never do such a thing 
And those yeah. of us who do these things or who do bad things, I guess I'll just yeah. use that terminology, that that line is way, that distance is way shorter it's than people really think It's really sort of like a gray, murky area. Yeah. And I think that's a, that is, it's always an interesting concept to me because I agree with you. I don't know that, I don't know that there's a line. I don't either. I think that there is a compilation of factors and experiences and circumstances and sort of personality and psychological traits that tip all that tip you over. That it is, in fact, much more of like there's sort of this tipping point more than this. I think we like to imagine there's sort of like this deep gap. Right. That some that chasm between, between evil and right. good. Me and my sort of regular day-to-day life and somebody else who has, you know, murdered, exploited, assaulted, right. raped. Like, the reality for it's the majority not. of those scenarios is that it is not such a wide divide between us. There's no. There's probably more often than not more in common. Right. With kind of the average person. Right. And then we're comfortable with. I mean, that's the other piece. That's really what it boils down to is that there is this, we have to get really comfortable with our own kind of humanity. Mm -hmm. Like that when people are like, oh, I could never. Right. That whole concept of I could never. I'd like to think that I could never. Sure. I'd like to And I hope that that I'm never faced with circumstances that make me have to. Make that choice. Evaluate that. Yeah. Yeah. Or reflect on that. But. I don't think the more the more I sort of do this work, and again, I, I don't I've, work with clients who are particular violent or whatever, yeah. but or who have shown violent behaviors. But you know, in this work, you certainly work with people. You work with people who've had affairs. You work with people who've stolen. You yes. work with people who've you know done all sorts of things um, that society would deem separates them from, from the rest of us. And I just don't see those barriers that strongly anymore. No. I mean, probably I never did 100% or I wouldn't be a therapist anyway, but... (laughs) Well, there's that too. Certainly when you are sort of in the room with someone who has done something like, you know, stolen from their parents or introduced their friend to heroin, um, you know, things that we would find unconscionable. Unconscionable? Is that how I want to say Yeah. Reprehensible. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Whatever. And you're just like, oh, you're a person and you you did some, you know, crappy things. You made some shitty choices. But, you know, in the in the sort of full scape of your life, like this is there's not just some evil that resides in you. Right. And so every interaction I can feel this sort of and I while certainly the bulk of my professional life has not included a lot of violent offenders or anything like that. I have worked with clients who have, you know, sexually assaulted. And mm-hmm. I mean, so, you know, who have served some time for some of the, for their behavior yeah. and for some of their choices. And yeah, when I... And you were shocked to see that they were people. Right. <laughs> I mean, you weren't shocked to see, <laughs> but like... But to sit people. in the room with somebody and to have to... And, and I, I can understand why, as in general, as people... We'd like to create this us versus them right. divide that isn't real because it's it's difficult to sit with somebody and hold the part where you have done things to other people mm-hmm. that are un- that are that are, are in- unforgivable that are really. unforgivable really that you know I find 
And to still respect their humanity. And to still respect the humanity. Like, to sit with somebody and, like, and realize that they're actually really funny. Yeah. And they crack, like, and to sort of be laughing at the same, about something genuinely funny and finding them to be charming or to be really kind to their partner. Right. Because they really love that person and And still have have to hold this other piece where there is a part of you that's capable of love and kindness and compassion. And there's a part of you that's very capable of and has acted on, acted in ways that are really terrible and um, inhumane. Well, and to throw one more piece to the mix, I know we have to wrap up, but this is from another podcast and I can't remember which one. So (laughs) if anybody can remember from the rambling I'm about to sort of issue, then let me know. I think it was from Radiolab. Anyway, there was a, a father of an adult an adult woman who the adult woman had been raped and murdered by a guy and the father got in touch and and he was convicted and went to jail forever. Um, I think he, I'm not sure if he was on death row, but I think he had a life life sentence. Okay. Um, and the father got in touch with the man who raped and murdered his daughter and started writing letters and they wrote letters back and forth for years. And he said that he had forgiven him and I didn't even, I don't even know what to do with that as a therapist. Like I had, right. or, or a person in the world, like I have no idea what to do with that. But it was sort of like, how do you come to a place? Like the father contacted him originally trying to just, I think it just out of his sense. anger make yeah. sense of it. It's sort so of closure. Awful. Yeah. yeah. Um, but to then sort of end up in this, I mean, they described each other as friends yeah. With the person who raped and murdered his daughter and to be in constant contact with him and sort of say, I have forgiven him mm-hmm. and I make an effort to see him. I make an effort to, you know, keep in contact with him. It's just, I don't know. I think it goes back to that whole idea, like that space between yeah, that gray between what we could do yeah. and what we couldn't do is just not what you think it is. No, we think, yeah, we think of this sort of this hard fast. And then the father did what I think, what on some level I wish all of us were capable of, we're all capable of doing what we would all do, which is sort of found a way to see the humanity in this man mm-hmm. who did really terrible things. Mm-hmm. Um, really terrible things to his child and right. to still be able to find a way to see the humanity in that. And and the thing is, it, it sounds like this very selfless act, mm-hmm. but I think there's also something very self-serving in the process. And I think, so I've been toying with this, which I will talk about now on the podcast, but I've been toying with writing about this experience I had because, and it's the whole very us versus them, mm-hmm. you know, which I think has been a big, certainly through this particular, you know, leading into election season. Right. I feel like we're not political even climate. fully, but in the political climate, there's been a lot of us, us versus, versus them. them. We don't clearly define who us and them are. Right. But there's a lot but of there's that, a lot of that messaging out there. And so, you know, I've lived where I live for, in the larger sort of metro area, mm, almost mm, seven almost 18 years mm-hmm. I've lived like literally the community I'm in for like 12 mm-hmm. I love it here like it's great my kids have like I feel very much a part of this like to me like this is these are my people yeah. <laughs> I've lived here for a long yes. time I work here went to the grocery store and 
very odd. This would fit if you know me really well, because I just sort of give everyone the benefit of the doubt. I got out of my car. Someone else got out of their car. We're walking. And she sort of turned to me and was like, hey, troublemaker. And I have a propensity for, because I work and live very close, I tend not to pay close attention to people's faces. Mm -hmm. Um, Mostly out of wanting to create privacy for my clients. So, like, I'm not going like, hey. And then my brain clicks in and I realize who you are. And now I've made it awkward. (laughs) So I just tend to kind of just smile and nod at people. And I smiled and nodded. But, I mean, she sort of launched into a very us and them Narrative? Narrative dialogue. I can't call it dialogue because I didn't really say anything. And I don't think she was looking for me to say anything. But it was on one side of it is the first time I've really faced any kind of like racial slur Mm. in nearly 20 years of living in this area ever, Mm. including not just me, but like I think about my kids and my husband and whoever, friends, whatever. But it was also the first, I mean, I couldn't really recall the last time I had been faced with that in probably, probably three decades. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. I'm exaggerating if I say probably 30 years. But what caught me, I think, off guard was my own reaction, mm-hmm. which was not particularly angry or mm-hmm. any, I mean, it was just sort of, and I've been in that space, so I know what those feelings are. But I just found myself sort of looking at her and feeling like what you're saying is so much the sort of the minority. And it was very clear that she also understood that because she was sort of talking very low. And as soon as someone else kind of came with an earshot, she stopped talking. Hmm. But it was just an interesting thing. And what I realized, not in a like patting myself on the back kind of way, (laughs) but what I realized was what I saw when I looked at her was the humanity of like either not knowing any better or her own sort of fear and very misguided Mm -hmm. because I, you know, I sort of looked and I thought, you know, the category that you, the us that she put herself in Mm -hmm. probably wouldn't have claimed her as Mm -hmm. part of their group. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. She just sort of didn't fit their profile Mm -hmm. um, from a, I'm making some assumptions, but I would say from a socioeconomic standpoint and from a professional and educational standpoint, like that right. was not that's not the group you're a part of. And I just remember sort of looking at her, but it made me think about like it seemed like, oh, what a selfless thing that I didn't get angry and or go off or make yeah. a scene or whatever, that I was sort of extending this compassion to this person who's being really awful to me. Right. But mostly it's sort of self-serving mm. because I didn't have all of the other emotional that then I have to carry around where I feel like, am I out of place and I don't fit here? And, you know, all of the stuff that comes up with that. And I, you know, it's not that I'm saying, Oh, we, we all need to do this. It wasn't a conscious decision, but it, that was your genuine, that was my genuine reaction. And it really did bring me to a place of, and sort of back to your story about the father of, I think sometimes our ability to forgive other people in their, awful acts of Mm -hmm. of hatred or ignorance or violence is far less about absolving them of their guilt than it is about sort of freeing ourselves from the suffering that comes with being stuck in that kind of like in the pain that they are trying to inflict on other people. So it was just kind of, it was a very odd and interesting experience because it's, would I be able to feel that way had it been 
you know, somebody I cared about, you know, one of my kids. Probably not. Realistically, I probably would have had a very different experience. If it was for somebody else, you would have felt more. Yeah, I would have been a lot harder. Yeah, but it was just kind of an interesting. And as you talked about the dad, it, it gave me a glimpse into and by no means do I necessarily think I would be capable of doing what he did. Yeah. But in that process of you know being understanding understand yeah how that's possible how you get there and that that kind of compassion for other people is not just about sort of being trying to be altruistic or sort of like look at me and how great i am that i can extend this compassion but that it actually that i can forgive you yeah look at me i'm amazing but that in fact it genuinely makes your own life and your own experience better yeah which I guess in some ways brings us full circle to Mo's quote about experience. That we have to look at experience to sort of get we'll to get that place wisdom of wisdom. Of yeah. That you look and at we, that. Then we do something different. So look at that. <laughs> <laughs> My rambling actually made a circle. How often does that happen, huh? <laughs> it happens a lot. <laughs> All right. Well, I feel like this has been a great episode. Yeah. Um, Big thank you to Mo again for coming on and talking with us. And in the show notes, we will have all of our therapist problems and all of our podcast episodes for you guys to check out. And of course, um, don't leave the therapist problems just to us therapists. Send us your your own questions, <laughs> dilemmas to get our thoughts. You can on my website, estherboykin.com backslash podcast. You can post it in the comments for this episode. You can also reach us on conversations off the couch. Conversation. Yep. And and on Instagram, I guess you could post pictures of you listening to the podcast. Sure. That would be cool. That would be cute. <laughs> we would like that. We would like that. We would. I feel like, yeah. We'll Actually, like yeah, we will definitely do that. And you know what? I think I will. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, Follow us both. So follow Conversations Off the Couch and Esther B. MFT on Instagram. And follow Ian Flats. Ian Flats. And follow The Happiness Planner. Oh, yes, yes. So if you follow all four accounts and leave a comment on at least one saying how much you love this episode... Then I think we'll go through your comments and I'll figure out how to make it work. And we will give away a copy of the Happiness Planner to one of our awesome listeners. So go follow all of us on Instagram. And by the time you follow all of us on Instagram, there will be a post so that you can figure out how to win your Happiness Planner with like all the official rules and details. So it's been fun. Yes. We will be back in two weeks. Don't forget, this is our new schedule. So every other Thursday, you can catch a new episode. Um... We'll be here live. With that being said. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. What did you think of today's episode? If you're listening in the anchor.fm app, hit the button up at the top and leave us a message. You can also send us messages on Instagram or Twitter at EstherBMFT and at Ian Flats. 
You can send us your therapist problems, suggestions for read, listen, watch, or ideas for upcoming episodes. And with that being said, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, anchor.fm. Catch you in the next episode.